Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, Student-Focused Library Design, we're joined by Robbie Bolton, University Librarian at Spring Arbor University, Tom Sens, Higher Education Client Leader at BHDP, and Kyle Mall, Intern Architect on BHDP's Higher Education team. In this lively discussion, Tom and Kyle share the research BHDP conducted to understand students' perspectives about their university libraries, while Robbie offers his expertise and experience as an academic librarian. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. And Robbie, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with you. And my question for you is, who are you and what do you do? Hey, thanks, Brian. It's great to be here with you guys. My name is Robbie Bolton, and I'm the University Librarian Director of Library Services at Spring Arbor University. I've been an academic librarian for all of my career as a librarian, and all of that primarily at Spring Arbor University. And we're a small, mid-sized academic institution, so probably on the, much on the smaller end of the academic library. Where is Spring Arbor University? Spring Arbor University is located in beautiful Spring Arbor, Michigan, about 45 minutes west of Ann Arbor, an hour west of Detroit. Very cool. Thanks for that, Robbie. And then next, Tom, who are you and what do you do? Good morning, Brian. So thanks for having me here. My name is Tom Sens. I'm client leader with BHDP Architecture. I'm actually in my 28th year at BHDP. And interestingly enough, my very first project was the renovation and expansion of Earlham College's Lilly Library which was a library that was designed by one of BHCP's founder, Jack O'Dell, who's the H in BHCP, so pretty neat. I've been involved in libraries kind of pretty much throughout my career at BHCP. I had the honor of renovating my alma mater's, Miami University's King Library, through a decade-long renovation project, and I just enjoy this building typology so much. Thanks for that, Tom. And it's you say it's your 28th year, you don't look a day over your 27th year, so, you know, kind of... <laughs> And Kyle, tell us who you are and what you do. Yes, I'm Kyle Mall. I'm an intern architect with BHDP, and I've worked full-time for four years at BHDP on the higher ed team, and I was a co-op before, so I've been around for a while. I've worked with Tom on the Academic Libraries Initiative for the last year. It's my job to challenge his 28 years of knowledge and hopefully <laughs> bring a fresh perspective. That's always good. You know, one of those steel sharpened steel type of situations. You got to keep Tom on his toes. So thank you, Kyle. What we're here to talk about today is there's been some research done regarding libraries, specifically through BHDP. And Tom and Kyle, I, I wanted to let you take us through that process. What research have you done and how was that done? What we did last fall, in fact, Robbie was part of the panel discussion, we had a leadership roundtable that consisted of library leaders from all over the country that talked about really two things. What's the thought of the next one to two years after we're through the pandemic? And then probably the larger question, what does the library look like in five years? What's its evolving role? And then at the same time, we asked this marketing firm, ask your target market, for some help in doing a nationwide survey. So we did a survey of 500 students from across the country, and we'll talk in more detail about it, but the findings of that survey about how students use the library, what their emotions are in the library, what they like to see in the library, that was really fascinating information for us to kind of filter through. 
part of the survey that personally I was most interested in was kind of the empathy of students. So what is their experience on the library and what is the feeling that they have when they are there? Over this last year, obviously, we've been sort of deprived of direct human connection. As we go back and we restart that connectivity, what do students expect in their library? We got some findings out of that that are pretty interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to think of empathy as a library because usually a library is like the repository of knowledge. Robbie, if you wanted to add to that at all, what's the ultimate purpose of the library and maybe how does empathy play a part in that? Well, I think empathy is are we creating a space for students to, to work, to collaborate, to study? What kind of environment are we cultivating in our physical libraries? You know, we shifted from a profession that was the rowing the boat to now we're kind of steering. You know, before we cataloged, we were gatekeepers to information, to the stacks, to expensive databases to access. And now we're pointing, hey, here's where you go. Here's how you do this. Here are the skills you need to find the information, do the research you need, and also provide space and the resources that students need to do that work. I like that phrase, we've gone from rowing the boat to steering the boat. That's an interesting perspective shift. Was there something in the research regarding empathy that really stood out to you? Like, were there some surprising findings in there? The data that we got, it really backed up kind of common thought, but at least we can put numbers behind them. What we found in the study was that students who felt more relaxed in the library felt that the library had more positive impact on their education. So the empathy of the library is not just impacting something very small, it is holistic. So it impacts students' wellness, how they physically feel and how they perform as students. Yeah, Kyle, if I could just add on to that, what it struck out to me in reading that section of your report is the emotional well-being of our students. Wanting a soothing environment, wanting to feel relaxed, wanting a quiet space, where they could work, whether that was solitary work or it was work with peers and fellow students, they wanted to be the focus on emotional well-being. I know your methodology were very intentional, asking students who had experienced an academic library before COVID, but it's hard not to imagine that the COVID experience colored those students' responses still a little bit. That emotional well-being of your students and feeling relaxed and soothing in a library being an empathetic environment is even more important coming out the last two years of the pandemic. If I could add on to that, we asked two questions with respect to the students' feelings in the library. One question was, what are the feelings that they really experience in the library? And then the second question was, what are the feelings that they'd like to experience? And when we asked the first question, welcoming, as you said, Robbie, came up resourceful, relaxed, but also stressful. Nearly 20% of the students felt some level of stress. Nearly 10% felt some level of intimidation. So when we asked them how would they like their emotions to really be felt, and they really responded to wanting to have that welcoming, resourceful, and relaxed atmosphere that they can feel like they wanted to be a part of the library. Yeah, Tom, thanks for that. Robbie, why do you think students responded in a way that said that the library was stressful or intimidating? Homework? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, really, I mean, some of it. There's only so much we could do there. The library is a stressful environment as of itself, or is the activity that students are doing in the library stressful? We can't address that a whole lot, I don't think. Although some libraries have tried, our library has done a little bit of this, and I think others have done it much better, where they kind of do events and programming around like de-stress events, bringing in emotional therapy dogs 
to have dogs available for students to take a break at pet, having comfy seating, something as simple as bean bags, or having massage night where a chiropractor will come in and offer free massages for a few minutes just to help students de-stress, usually geared towards the end of the semester, finals times and midterm times. There's nothing you can do about the homework, right? But can you help create a stress-free environment where people have to do something that is stressful? Is that a topic that you delved into in the roundtable, Tom? Actually, when we did the roundtable, we just received the findings. So we did share some of the preliminary research, but Kyle and I, we made a submission to the American Library Association of Ohio's fall conference. We plan to do some focus groups to share those survey results with students and then get their input on what they think of the results. I also wanted to kind of add to Robbie's point about the library is potentially stressful. I've talked to a number of students about just the first few steps they take in the library. You, know, you go through the library doors, you see that huge circulation desk, you know, you see the librarians behind it and it's more of a transaction. The thought of perhaps softening that, so not having that big circulation desk, perhaps having a, the ability for librarians to interact with students, I think it's very important. And even peer to peer to have younger librarians, students that are maybe student workers, to be able to help students kind to overcome that anxiety, you know, making that experience, the first few steps in the library, being one that they want to feel welcomed. Tom, you mentioned the desk, the large granite, maybe marble countertop, you know, beautiful oak circulation desk or reference desk. I think that's a problem that a lot of libraries that were built 20 years ago, 30 years ago, are trying to work out our library at Spring Arbor University. We're almost about to celebrate our 20th anniversary. We have a beautiful fortress of a reference desk. Sometimes I feel like I should be standing there with a scepter, guarding the books from the masses. How do we repurpose that? Do we just scrap it all and, you know, have our library sitting there with a tablet or a laptop? Or better yet, have our libraries roaming around, almost like you would at a bookstore where seeing students in the stacks or, hey, can I help you? But same with our circulation desk. How could we make that less intimidating? I think that's a challenge in designing, as you guys do, new libraries, but also it's a big challenge for those of us with those large physical impediments and trying to adjust to them after the fact. Yeah, and a fortress by nature is intimidating in a way. So maybe that plays into it, something that you shall not pass. (laughs) Brian, it might have something to do with the trebuchets we have behind the reference (laughs) desk. I don't know, but. Yeah, only if they're lobbing knowledge at people. I'm remembering my pedagogical journey going into design classes in architecture where they would say everyone had to read the same material, read this book so you can learn about design. And I remember having a professor one time that actually sat with me and said, here's what I think you're interested in. And I know there's a book about it somewhere. And taking just that nugget of knowledge to our library and finding what drew me to architecture instead of everybody read the same thing. Yeah. And those are the questions that academic librarians live for. You know, someone coming with an open-ended question where I kind of know the direction I want to head, but I'm not sure how what to call it. I'm not sure if the materials exist. Help me on this journey. So there was a roundtable recently. So you'd said you'd submitted for the new topic, and some of that research came in early. What was the focus of the roundtable that happened recently? So the roundtable was really trying to get a group of library leaders to have a discussion about not thinking now on the COVID and the social distancing that we're all experiencing, but after the pandemic is over, what's the library going to become in the next one to two years? Because you can really touch the next one to two years. And thinking about, we obviously will have learned from the pandemic. There's going to be some long-lasting changes. But then the larger question is really thinking about what the library's role might be in five to 10 years. 
What's the future of the library? What's its role? Is it going to change? Is it going to adapt based on what we've learned? It really resulted in some just amazing discussions with different perspectives from library leaders from across the country. To pose the question to you, Robbie, what do you see your library being in five to 10 years? One is a response to the pandemic. I think we're going to see a craving for more in-person experiences. And maybe this is just me being an optimist, uh, which I rarely am, but hoping that face-to-face campus students will want to come back into the library because they miss being around other people. They miss real experiences. But at the same time, I think we're going to see a push the opposite direction where some people loved online learning. Some people's lives were infinitely better and maybe more meaningful of learning experiences. And so we might have students that will never set foot in our library now because they're like, oh, I didn't know the library had a chat service, which most of our libraries have had for 15 plus years. Now I could chat with the librarian. They responded email. They'll set up consultations with me to do virtually. They'll even mail the books to my house if I need physical books. Which way it goes, I think it's going to split. You know, we're going to see a smaller subset that want face-to-face experiences and a smaller subset that wants more online experiences. Prior to the pandemic, the direction of a lot of higher education is steering towards online education. We're a small campus. If our FTE shifts even further towards online education and our campus experience becomes smaller, well, now our library has to cater the majority of our patrons, our distance students, students who will never set foot on our campus or in our library, How much of our resources do we devote to the physical face-to-face experience versus the online experience? I want to come back to that, but I want to get Kyle's impression of that roundtable, too. Were there any big key takeaways for you participating in this roundtable? What we heard a lot from most of the library leaders is that the pandemic has really accelerated the rate of change of libraries, and, and they don't know what the next future is, and playing day by day trying to figure that out. But I think what Robbie's saying is probably right, that there will be this sort of shift in the library from just a repository that you visit occasionally to check out a thing to becoming a place to be. Students really want that place to go to and study as a group to connect with their friends, to connect with librarians who can help them. So that connectedness, I think, will begin to center in the library. That's a pretty good answer. I always like that question, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? Because my brain instantly goes to the Mitch Hedberg answer of celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question. But (laughs) (laughs) it is an interesting thing to try and take a look out of something that is a moment of, to be fair, panic. Everything had to shut down right away. And now there's a mental swing to, all right, open it all back up. But that's a reactive moment. How do you take that long view and say, all right, what could we prepare for? And it sounds like, Robbie, what you were saying is like in the retail world, it's that omni-channel experience. Suddenly we need to pay more attention and have a solution for that. But the other solution for bringing people back into the physical environment, like how are you thinking about that post-pandemic? Are you thinking of ways to attract people to make them want to come back to the library? Tom, is that something that we've been thinking about here Brian, let me just share a quick story of a conversation that I had with a librarian at Franklin Pierce College in New Hampshire, and then asked the question to Robbie. So Paul Jenkins is a library leader at Franklin Pierce, and he shared a very interesting story with me about their campus. They kind of treated the pandemic as kind of the bubble. All their students were on campus. 98% of the students were on campus. And the library, before the pandemic, that was the hub. That was where all the students wanted to hang out. It was just this buzz of activity. Students were still on campus, but the library was dead. He said to me, he said, hey, are you seeing that 
you know, sort of lack of foot traffic in other colleges, libraries. I posed the question to a couple of librarians and got some different answers, but I wanted to ask you, Robbie, have you seen a real reduction in foot traffic? And if so, how do you think about trying to make that library again, that buzz of activity that it once was? Yeah, we have seen a significant reduction in foot traffic. I would say our foot traffic is about half. Our campus uh, was more or less open. We did not have, unlike Franklin Pierce, we did not have a bubble environment. So all across campus, classrooms, other facilities, and the library was no different. We tried to distance students apart as much as possible. Uh, In our computer labs, we pulled out every two machines to spread people out. All the comfy seating, all the work we've done to try to cultivate an empathetic environment over the last probably five to seven years, we tried to undo it uh, for this last school year to make the library really less inviting so students would be distanced. We said no food in the library to encourage students to keep their masks on. We do have a coffee shop in our library, which was open. We did allow beverages. But yeah, our foot traffic went down about half. And when we kind of anecdotally talked to students, like, hey, what's going on here? Is the library not meeting the needs? And students were just like, look, we're tired of wearing masks. If I've got to be having to sit there and to study by myself in the library with a mask on, I might as well study in my room. I certainly get that response. And what concerns me, and it sounds like similar concerns from the director of Franklin Pierce, These students now have two academic years of behavior where they haven't needed the library or have used it significantly less. So what do we have to do? Do we have to focus more on outreach? Do we have to do events? You know, do I need to stand at the door as the director and greet people as they walk into the library or stand outside the front door and wave them in? Free books, free books. Yeah, that's interesting. I know um, the pandemic had a serious financial impact to a lot of industries. And so people are being a little more cautious in where they invest those dollars. So it's like, you know, what's the impact on designing libraries for the future? There's going to be a point where people do come back, but maybe it's not the same as it was before. Like you had said before, maybe there's a more hybrid approach to, you know, some want to do the distance learning, some want to be in person. How does that impact the design of libraries going forward? It was interesting when we asked what the role of the library is going to be in five years. There were 12 people in the panel. All 12 of them said it's definitely going to change, but none of them had an answer as to how it's going to change. So what it means with respect to design, you have to think about flexibility and adaptability because you know things are going to change, but you don't want to build into the library systems that are permanent, that are really difficult to maneuver. So you want to have things like chairs that are on casters, tables that can move, even partitions that can perhaps move as well, writable surfaces, things to be able to allow space to adapt over time and even several times in the same day, depending on the users that would be taking advantage of the space. Yeah, Kyle, you want to counterpoint any of that or what do you see the future of the library being? No, I agree completely. The other thing that we heard out of the roundtable was that the library has to be all things to all people. It's it's stretched so thin across many resources. And I tell the story of when we did a visioning session with Bowling Green State University for their library. This tall tower, eight floors, pretty small floor plates on the tower. And they were trying to rethink what is the future of their library. And they, before we had come in, had taken the top floor of that building that was previously book stacks, and they turned it into flexible, open study space for students. So it was a social floor where students could talk in groups. They had us kind of evaluate their building and how they could evolve for the future. And our recommendation for them was that students really loved 
that top floor. That was the one place that was the most used in their entire library. So as we did our roundtables with students and with the faculty in the library, that was the main recommendation is to basically replicate what they had done and do it on almost all floors to bring more of that student social space. So I use that in, as an example because the library had just done a test to see what would happen and it ended up being very successful. That's a good story. Yeah, Robbie, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, I won't, I won't disagree, but I'll say, I'll maybe take it a different direction. I think what we think of as libraries that have been designed for traditional library purposes are just going to shrink. You're going to need smaller library spaces for collections, but it still needs to feel like a library. You know, we've done some of what you described, Kyle, uh, I think you said it was Bowling Green. We've tried to do with our old periodical area, our old reference area. Almost all the stacks in those areas are gone and like big comfy chairs, study tables, things that can kind of be moved around as the, whether you have groups of two or groups of seven, they can kind of just move things around and, and be in that more open space. And that's heavily trafficked. Even with the pandemic, students still were using those spaces quite a bit, but we still need it. We kept books around the shelves, stacks around the perimeter of those spaces because I still have Prospective parents and students get tours from our enrollment office coming into the library, and they expect it to seem a little bit like a library. Where's the books? It would be an obvious question if we had no books. So how do you design a space to feel academic, to feel scholarly, to feel like a library as physical books become less and less of a bigger part of that space? Robbie, that's a great question. Just thinking about a recent library that we renovated at West Virginia Wesleyan College, to your point about wanting to have books to just make that feeling of the library be there, the library's collection was shrinking at West Virginia Wesleyan College. But what they wanted to do was they wanted to have the feel of the library. So we lined the reading room with books so that just the feeling of being in a soft seat, curled up with a book and books around you, that's something that students really wanted to be a part of. Another point I wanted to make was there was a gentleman at the round table. His name was Jack Fritz. He's the library director at Benedictine University. He said in one sentence, I think volumes. So we asked the question, what's the library of the future going to be? And he said these three things. He said, well, it's going to be more virtual, less physical, tighter funding. And he was absolutely spot on. It's going to be more virtual. Things are obviously going, the databases are increasing. It's going to be less physical because the book collection is reducing. And then the issue with the funding is that you think about the science building or the business school building, you know, they always seem to get that priority list over the library. So the library really has to make its case to get funding. And that's really going to be a challenge moving forward. So the thing about less physical is that the library's collection is reducing perhaps having partnerships with other academic partners that really have a similar mission with the library it can be something to think about to really make the evolving role of the library make a lot of sense to us. We were working with NOAA, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association. And just if you don't know who that is, you know, they have the National Weather Service as one of their sub things. And they had a library on their, what was essentially a campus. And that library was underutilized. And so one of the things that the librarian came forward and said, what if we activate this space? Because we have artifacts here that some people have never seen that are really fascinating and we can rotate them through. But what if we make this an active workspace that people, if they're having trouble focusing, can come to? And I know that's how I think of an academic library anyway. You know, if your roommates are rowdy or whatever, you could go to the library to kind of focus. What drove people to the library prior? Was it, you know, to hang out with their friends or or was it to work by themselves or was it to work in small groups? Like what got people to the library? Robbie, did you want to take that? Yeah, my work as an academic librarian has been on small college campuses. So 
From the small college campus, I think a well-designed library has functioned effectively as like the third place. I mean, you guys are well familiar with the first place is home or work. You know, so for the college student living on a campus, they have their classroom space. That's their workspace. They have their residence hall. That's their home space. Well, where do you hang out when you're not in those two places? As student centers have become less and less of a hangout space and de-emphasized on campuses, I think libraries have kind of jumped to fill the void. Libraries like ours that have a coffee shop that have created more open collaborative study spaces where students like on our main floor can be loud, can be noisy, can hear the bean grinder, the coffee shop, or they could go up to quiet study rooms, sit in the stacks in our carrels or group study spaces and have more of the traditional, I'm silent, I need the quiet space. The first question that we asked in the survey, why do you visit the university library? Mark all that apply. And I thought it was fascinating that the number one reason that students choose to go to the library is to study alone. You know, in this world of collaboration, group study, you know, group projects, you'd think that that would rank highly, but working in collaboration with other students, that actually ranked ninth. I thought that was really surprising that it ranked as low. But what ranked second was studying with friends, the whole sort of alone together concept where you're not really collaborating, but you're with your friend, you're studying together, you're getting your work done. Yeah, I agree. I think that that was pretty surprising. I think of the library as a social space, just being a younger person, that was what I used the library for. And so I sort of have to step aside and look at it from another person's perspective. I think a lot of students do prefer to just be alone and have their quiet silent space. But we always hear in visioning sessions that we do, the comment is always that they like to be surrounded by other people and they like to be surrounded by books. Those are kind of <laughs> the two major things that we hear in virtually every visioning session with students. I think, Tom, you can probably agree with that. Let me quibble a little bit with your methodology. And maybe you addressed this and you kind of said further questions to ask. You did have a section like that at the end of the report. I think you said you surveyed students who experienced an academic library pre-COVID. You were very intentional about that. But you also said we're only asking surveying students that have actually spent about two hours a week in the physical library. Part of me thinks when we hear the biggest thing was they wanted quiet space or space to study with friends. I would love to know what are the students that aren't coming to the library two hours a week? What do they want from the library? Are we just getting, hey, here's all the introverts that come to the library and want to study by themselves? We want to know what they think because they're our best customers. At the same time, are there needs of our student populations that we're not serving? And as we've already discussed, how are we serving the needs of our virtual students? Like the one library director that you quoted, Tom, Jack, he said, we're going to be more virtual. How do we meet the needs of those more virtual students who will never be spending two hours a week in the physical library? Yeah, I wonder, that, because, you know, you talk about, you think of the library, if it becomes more virtual, it's just helping people learn how to do research, maybe. Like, there's a bit of an education component. Maybe I'm, I'm overthinking it. I don't think you're overthinking it at all, Brian. And this is a question I've been asking our librarians, because I've noticed a decline in our reference transactions. As we've become even more available, even prior to the pandemic, we've kind of seen a, just a gradual decline. Is it because they don't need our help anymore? I'd like to think there's some of our library design, our website design, our usability of our resources, and our teaching have been effective enough that we show students once how to do something, they kind of got it. Maybe they'll want to come back and talk to me or my reference librarians when they're writing a literature review for a thesis. But for basic research, maybe it's not that hard. Maybe that they don't need the intermediary, the scepter-wielding librarian protecting the books from the masses at the desk in the way they used to. 
Yeah, it's like you're defining Gandalf saying, you know, you shall not have access to the information, therefore you shall not pass your class. I was curious, too, when people responded that there was an intimidation or there was a stressful piece to that, it made me wonder, because I was working on a different workplace project where we were trying to create an experience where everyone felt welcome and included, are libraries addressing issues of creating more equity or inclusivity into the library experience? Like, how are libraries thinking about that and what are they doing regarding making everyone feel welcome in the library? I took the findings from the roundtable and shared it with other librarians that couldn't attend. And there was a gentleman from UNC Chapel Hill. He really thought that was important with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And his point was that really try to think about creating places that people can actually see themselves and see others that are like themselves in the library so that they feel welcome. He thought that was so important. So I think he hit on a really great point, Brian. Yeah, I'll take it it's a slightly different direction. I think uh, having a, a library building that's 20 years old, trying to make sure our space is more ADA, not just compliant, but friendly and welcoming. If you're in a wheelchair, you could actually slide up to a computer and actually get under the desk. Or we have desks that are usable and not tucked away in some corner somewhere. You know, and I think, could you navigate the stacks or not? I think those are things, especially for libraries that were designed 20, 30 years ago, trying to make sure those are not just compliant, but also like ADA friendly. I think yeah, that's a great point, Robbie. Going beyond ADA and trying to think of universal design to really enable the library to be used by all, not only with physical disabilities, but those that may have some emotional challenges. Think about those big, huge spaces that we think are really cool as architects. Those can be somewhat intimidating to people. So think about that sequence of different spaces that can enable people to really feel comfortable in the library. I think that, Tom, is some of, you know, what Kyle's survey kind of bears out. We see the first thing is quiet space for the solitary student to study. The second thing is be around my friends. So making sure that we're not pushing too far one direction or the other, where, hey, we've got a lot of private study carols, or we have converted everything to open group space, because there's going to be the student that comes to that group space is like, ah, get me out of here. Uh, and then there's the student that's like, I need to be around other people if I'm going to be doing work. I can't just sit in a room by myself. Trying to be intentional about meeting the different needs of students, which is so it's funny that those are your being in groups and being kind of in a quiet space by myself are the two top responses to that question. Yeah, it serves two lanes of thought. Those are the two things that are important that need to be addressed anyway. So Kyle, I'm going to have you answer this first. So just so you know, this is a big aspirational question. I'm a big sci-fi guy, so I want like crazy thinking here. When you think about even the next five years or in the future, what is the future of the library? And then what are maybe some trends that might impact that for the future? Like <laughs> if you were to project into the future, what could you imagine some wild scenario for the academic libraries? I think my personal tend is toward physical. I like to have a physical book. So even 100 years in the future, I think that paper is still worth its weight. And I think the library is just a much more social place for people to be and to spend time together. I think that is a trend that won't go away. The library will be a place to meet as groups and to have your lunch and study alone or with a friend to do anything. It makes me think of vinyl records, what you said, because while you have the capacity to digitize something, sometimes there's still a desire for an artifact. 
Brian, it's funny that you mentioned vinyl records because I think it was just three or four years ago that vinyl records actually surpassed physical media CD sales. It's an industry that's growing slowly and small in small ways because people want the material object. They want something they can hold. They want something where the needle scratches it to play it into the etchings of the vinyl. So <laughs> that's a really good example, I think, for people craving physical experiences. But I think that lends to a, a different kind of learning style where there's a tactile piece to it too. You know, that I remember things better when I touched them or wrote them myself. And that's my learning style. Other people can read it on a computer screen and they've retained it. So Tom, did you want to take that? What's the future of libraries? And then we'll let Robbie be the, the closing brilliant answer. Right? <laughs> sure, absolutely. I wanted to just share a little bit of research that we did during the year 2020. So obviously the pandemic was huge and we didn't want to just stop trying to understand how students were experiencing it. So we did this initiative called Understanding the Student Experience, which was a series of virtual focus groups with students, probably did a dozen of them. These students are clamoring to get back together. And my thought of what the future of the library is, I think it's going to be that academic student center. It's going to be that place. It's going to be that buzz of activity. It's going to have different partnerships, books. Yeah, they're going to still be there, but that, they're not going to be the focus. The focus is going to be the people. Yeah, the books are just there for the parent tours, right? <laughs> there you go. I'm kidding. Oversimplification. Um, Robbie, you want to bring us home? I don't know if I could bring us home, but I do think the books aren't just there for the parent tours. I think Kyle said earlier, students, they still want to have books around to feel like it's a library. And I do think that is vital for our parent tours, our prospective student visits. I, you guys are probably familiar with this study. I think it's a 2007 report from the Journal of Facilities Management in Higher Education. I wish it was replicated because it's actually a little dated now. When I share it with my administrators, they might point out how dated this is, but it found that the library was the second most important facility to decision-making for parents and prospective students. And I know, Tom, we've talked about limited funding is a reality for our libraries and our academic libraries going forward, but I think we need to make this case that, hey, People still expect a college to feel like a college, to look like a college, and library is the number two amenity for students and parents when they're deciding where to send their child to school or where to attend. Physical collections are still going to be important. Even Kyle said, I still want a physical book. I think we're going to still see librarians actually have to tightly weed their collections and have very high-use physical materials because space will be at a premium. The future library will be smaller for traditional library purposes. I don't need nearly as many offices. Half of my librarians could work remotely at least half the time, if not the majority of the time. They don't need an office. If they listen, I'm not taking it away from you. Don't worry. <laughs> the, our job as leaders in libraries and our campuses is to look around and see who are natural partners and natural collaborators that their work fits within the mission of the library. I don't want my boss saying, hey, I need an office for Kyle. Can we just put him in someplace in the library? Well, that doesn't make sense. I mean, that doesn't fit within the mission of the library, but you know, our writing center, our academic student support services, can we build those amenities in? Do we bring in more classrooms into the library to create more of an academic, I think you use the phrase, academic student hub, Tom. Yeah, it sounds like you're looking for some synergy or symbiosis even. Exactly. And I think it's and the onus is on us as leaders in our campuses and in our profession to be intentional and proactive, to create strategic plans to say, this is what the library should be. These are the types of offices and staff and collaborators we think make sense to be here with the mission of our library. That is so perfect. Robbie, thank you so very much for joining us today. Tom, Kyle, thank you as well. Hopefully you had fun. This was delightful for me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Great conversation. Thanks thank for you. following along. 
Yeah, thank you for inviting me. And, and Kyle, thanks for the report. It's great. Absolutely. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, Student-Focused Library Design with Robbie Bolton, University Librarian at Spring Arbor University, Tom Sens, Higher Education Client Leader at BHDP, and Kyle Mall, Intern Architect on BHDP's Higher Education Team. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I'm Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.